0: And now, I would ask you to open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Talking about the Christian spiritual life, sort of in mop-up mode. I know your Bible doesn't fall gently open to 1 Thessalonians anymore. I'm probably two Bibles... Since I've been through two Bibles because I bought cheap ones and they fell apart, but um, <laughs> anyway, um, in First Thessalonians chapter three, I want to talk about something that's vital to the spiritual life, to our understanding, and I want to introduce it, reminding you of First Corinthians 2. First Corinthians two is the passage that talks about the spiritual man versus the carnal man versus the, the um, soulish man, the fleshly, spiritual and soulish. And the soulish man, or kos is uh, the, the one that doesn't have the spirit. The spiritual man is the one who has the spirit and is indwelled by God, the Holy Spirit. And the carnal man is the one who acts like he has no spirit. He's immature. He's a babe in Christ. And um, so that introduces into spirituality the concept of maturi- maturity, maturation, let me read what I mean in 1 Thessalonians, or First Corinthians 3. I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, carnal men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. So carnality, uh, the, the mind set on the flesh, is spiritual infancy functionally. And he's talking to Christians because he says in First Corinthians 3.1, I, brethren, could not speak to you. So this establishes this problem, this category of a believer that is spiritually immature and functionally indistinguishable from an unbeliever. That's, that's That's the thing that's going on in 1 Corinthians 2 and 3. And it's the problem of Corinth. They're carnal, operating from the sin nature, not from the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God. He says, I gave you milk to drink, but not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able. That's a gentle way of saying, look where you were, and you're still there. Okay? That's, that, this is shaming the babies for being babies because they should be mature. So that's where the illustration breaks down. You don't shame infants for being infants. You shame 10-year-olds for acting like they're two. That's the idea, that's the, there's a contradiction that's going on. We, we in our theology don't like contradictions. The Bible doesn't contradict itself, God doesn't contradict himself, truth is truth, there is no shadow of turning in God. Okay, There is no contradiction in God, but there is a difference between my position in Christ and my performance, my walk, when I'm walking in darkness. And that contradiction is Paul's discussion. Some don't want to hear that because it makes things more complicated. Well, no, no, no. If you're saved, then you're walking in the light. If you're saved, then you're filled by the Spirit. If you're saved, then it's all one package. And I say that if that's true, then you don't need the New Testament. If you're saved, you might as well be with the Lord right now. There is no growth process. The, the truth is that these people haven't grown. They're being shamed for not growing, and they need to grow. You're still fleshly. Since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Or are you not walking like unbelievers? It says like men. Not regenerate men, but men without the Spirit. Are you walking, performing uh, as, as after the flesh? Now, what's the, what's the indicator that you have, carnal Christians, that you have uh, this problem? He says in verse three, he tells you the problem, jealousy and strife. I know that there's a sin problem from the strife, and I know what causes the strife is jealousy. So you've got mental attitude sins that are, that are boiling to the surface. See, we all want to play poker and pretend like, well, no, I'm all good. Good morning. Hello, it's nice to see you. It's Sunday morning. I pressed my shirt. Okay, we're all good. Everybody knows that, that this is how I put on my, my church face. But these mental attitude sins and these people have boiled up so much. They've been so indulged in their hearts that now they're boiling over into the acts of jealousy that are causing strife. And so you have these problems, these problems we call church problems. You know, where these Christians get together that believe in Christ as their Savior and are uh, saved a billion or forgiven a billion and trouble have trouble forgiving a thousand as the parable goes, right? And that's, that's the problem in Corinth, it's immaturity. For when one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are so you not acting like unbelievers? Are you not mere men? This is the problem in Corinth is making an issue over the sheepdogs that work among them. They have multiple passers coming through, and the babies are picking sides. They're printing jerseys. They're saying, "I am of." Um, let me go back to the '80s. I'm of Nike, and I'm of LA Gear because we couldn't afford the Nike, so we got the LA Gear. That was the tennis shoes when I was a kid. Or I'm of Nike, and I'm of Reebok. Or I'm of uh, the what's a really good football team? I'm of the Browns. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, anyway, the, the point is that they're, they're dividing over these human people, which, which now they're saying that who you listen to or who you identify with as a pastor is now determinative of your identity as a Christian. And we're dividing on that basis. And he says, that's, that's unbeliever behavior. That's acting like mere men. Political. It's politics and it's silly. So Uh, That's my introduction. There's the concept of spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, spiritual immaturity within the question of the walk of the Christian life. And I think the entirety of the New Testament is written so that you and I can grow. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, we're stretching forward to that which we've already attained. To that which we've attained to this, let us advance. Paul is saying that I, I don't look back at what I've done before. I look forward to the upper call of God in Christ and, but I don't consider myself to attained it. You see, I'm paraphrasing. But the idea is that we never get there, but we're in a process, constant process of growth and maturation. One great problem with the doctrine of spiritual growth is when you don't take into account the entirety of Scripture, you might conclude that it is an end in itself, much like uh, nutrition or medicine These fields are very valuable. Someone that knows what's the right kind of food and what quantities and let's don't exceed the right quantities or get the wrong types. A nutrition person may consider nutrition or health an end in itself. But if you have a healthy body, we say, to what end? What's the point? Right? The Epicurean says, what's the point if I'm not having any fun? The believer in Christ says, what's the point if I'm not on mission? The end in itself is God's service. And so my body is in service to God. So I put nutrition in its place. Medicine, vital, obviously. Uh, Last I heard, more than a tenth, more than 10% of our economy. Maybe that number is dated. Maybe it's even bigger number. Because the problem is we're all dying and and falling apart. We're all in this process, this inevitable conclusion. We want to have as best, as good a run as you can. When you buy a car, you know it's going to be a junker in 12, 15 years. You know, unless you get a, the right kind of car. But it's no, you, it's going to be a problem, and, and the first thing to go, you know, that first thing on your car that doesn't work anymore, you're like, "Oh, you get that death pang, and they're like, "Oh no, maybe we can fix it. Maybe they can swip, swap the part out, but if it has to do with the wiring harness or something else, I'm sorry, it's just going to eventually die. And what happens when they resurrect a car? They tear it apart and they rebuild it, right? That's a resurrection. That's a reconstruction. So what I'm saying is everything in this life is in this process of decay. So we're going to try to forestall it. We use medicine. We use medicine to try to help us preventive medicine, especially in nutrition. But then intervention, interven, interven, intervening medicine when I have a problem. And we, we need it and we love it and it's good. But what's the end? Hey, I'm, I'm home. I've got a clean bill of health. Is that the end in itself? No, I'm not just alive to feel healthy. I'm not just alive not to have disease. I'm alive in my health and in my freedom from disease to serve my creator. And that is true about spiritual growth as well. If I see growing up as an end in itself, then I am, I am waving the flag for participation trophies. If just growing up is the point, then everyone's a winner. You grew up. You made it. You survived the Darwin Awards. You didn't take yourself out through stupidity before you, uh, before you grew up, right? Which, or through whatever. Through, I mean, I'm not, make, I'm not making a lie of, of, of losing children. I'm saying um, to say that you lived to maturity, look what you've done. You've eaten every day, and you've gone to sleep almost every day, <laughs> We know this. You've had sufficient water and nutrient intake, and that's not good enough. Nobody's satisfied with that. See, we grow up for a purpose. I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to put the lie. I'm trying to help, help um, diffuse this misunderstanding that spiritual growth is an end in itself. And so when I look to the Bible, and the reason I do that, I'm introducing, is the Bible makes me think that way. And today, or today I want to look at one aspect of spiritual growth. We've talked about it uh, quite a lot. But one aspect of spiritual growth which may account for the whole doctrine of spiritual growth. And it's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, where Paul uh, is discussing travel plans, how he wasn't able to visit them how he's been encouraged because he sent Timothy when he couldn't go, and Timothy came back with the report that, hey, things are going well. The occasion of the writing of 1 Thessalonians is Paul got a good report about their gospel mission, and uh, despite the fact that he couldn't go himself, there uh, was uh, an explosion of successful evangelism in Thessaloniki. In verse 6 of uh, 1 Thess 3, Now Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news, Of your faith and love, that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you stand firm in the Lord. Now, this is what I was trying to show about the medicine and nutrition. Paul's purpose is not that he grows spiritually. He does need to, and he tells us he's still growing in Philippians 3. But his purpose in living is the faith of the Thessalonians, is the increase of the glory of God through the faith and spiritual growth of believers. The mission, in other words. He's on mission, and this is what it means to him to live. What it means to live. For now we really live if you are standing firm in the Lord. So your spiritual success is not Paul's responsibility. It's not the the teacher isn't responsible for your success. He's responsible for that portion of the formula that will equal your success that is his portion. There are many factors. Let me give you an example. If Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and only one of them read it with spiritual Success read it for the spiritual content and grew thereby and served God more because of the encouragement in it, then Paul would be successful uh, because he had contributed, but because that Thessalonian had believed what he re- read, because he had submitted his heart to God in the reading of it and he had considered it his spiritual life and his service to God in doing so. And so Paul's, Paul's success is involved, but it's a par- I'm trying to say it's a partnership. The Thessalonian reader has to take it in and live it out. The man from Antioch, from the church of Antioch now, Paul, his letter is, is, is part of that package. And so my job is to generate content, Paul says. Your job is to live it out. And if we both do our job, I can say I'm really living because I'm getting to be part of this mission. It's organic. It's a, it's a multi Um, It's a synergistic process with multiple participants. And so Paul can say, because of your success, I really live. I want to receive that kind of encouragement, don't you? Don't you want to know that because you are walking worthy of your calling, others can say, my life and its purpose that God has revealed to me, I'm enjoying the fulfillment of that purpose? I was listening to Gary uh, try to work on a car yesterday, just for a minute, because I look at a car, I look at the, the workings of a car, and I say, well, I hear it running, and I see exhaust, and uh, that, don't touch there, it's probably hot, you know, when <laughs> I see the hood up, so I'm not really mechanically inclined and, or trained, but, um, but I did notice that there was something wrong, and I could tell by sound and sight, I could hear the way the engine was running, and it did not sound right, and I could see the exhaust, that it was definitely not what uh, they're trying to do in the chemical experiment that is this modern automobile. was it running right. There were various components that weren't properly functioning, and I said, what do you think it is? He says, probably, Gary said something very technical. He says, probably this thingy right here or this other thing here that does something that's causing the... <laughs> the problem and I said you sound like me after I've worked on it for a couple hours anyway um, uh, th- this is the way the cr- christian life works is that your spiritual success if I'm your pastor uh, is directly affecting my perception of my life i wish it weren't that way sometimes but let me tell you the joy i have when i hear all eight cylinders running and you have that perfect tune where the thing's going right <laughs> Right right, at idle so that when it takes off it's this it's this screaming beautiful eight-cylinder thing that's how I think of us Um, not 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 one of these little four-cylinder I mean I appreciate fuel economy but um, hey we have plenty of fuel here and what we're doing so I want to see performance and uh, it is a great encouragement for Paul to say that they're succeeding spiritually so now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord Now, this opens me up to vulnerability in you, too. If you're growing in your spiritual gift, if you're functioning with other believers in your giftedness, and you get to see the joy, kind of eat some of that fruit, enjoy some of that benefit of the successful function in your life resulting in a successful successful walk in another's life that has this overall picture that the whole motor is running properly, when you have that, and it gets addictive. You want to see that more. When you don't see it, you wonder, what's, what's this all about? And when you have it and then somebody shipwrecks in their faith, Paul says it causes him great grief. No one suffers more than me when I see a believer shipwrecked in his faith because, because the, the motor's crashed. I'm part of it, and it's not working. And so it's, we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable if we're going to be Christians and be part of the mission, get, get in, involved in each other's lives, as Paul describes here. And so Paul's very vulnerable. But, you know, here's the other side of that. Oh, I just can't take it if I see people fail. I just can't take it if, if this doesn't go well. Yeah, you can. You have the Holy Spirit of God in you. He's, he's tough. So let's get some spiritual toughness, some maturity, some growth, and say when we, when we see success and we get to be part of it, praise God. When we're the failure, own it. Confess it. Get back on mission. When the other person's the failure and you're doing your job, Trust the Lord and pray for that person, and they need encouragement um, as appropriate to the situation. In verse 9, for what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before God on your account? See, that's where the things are running well, and I get to enjoy the benefits of seeing that growth. As we night and day keep praying most earnestly, that we may see your face, may complete, complete what's lacking in your faith see your face and complete what's lacking in your faith. It's not a criticism that there's a lack in their faith. It's just there's a maturity process and we have more to tell you. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. There's on your sheet, on your little note sheet. I've translated verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way or our path, our hodas, to you. The word direct. The word direct is a three-timer in the New Testament. And it also occurs in 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 3.5, 2 Thessalonians 3, five, And it means that some, there's another in Luke, it translated guide. And it is the idea of God superintending the course of your life. God superintending the course of your life. It is very appropriate for you to pray for God to direct the course of your life. But watch what Paul prays for in terms of that direction. Direct my path uh, according to your expectation, according to your will. What's his revealed will? Ministry, in Paul's case, and in all of our cases. Paul's prayers generally tend toward the spiritual life and the Christian mission because he knows why he's here on earth. So what he wants to do is go be with these people who are so successful spiritually that cause him such encouragement because of his... Uh, his diligence on their behalf and their receiving and performing this is a great contrast between moses and israel and his ministry think of moses and, and israel do you know have you read the stories lately about the the histories of how god dealt with israel and moses more than once moses said god just kill me and he meant it he wasn't just being hyper hyperbolic he said he meant kill me if you, if you love your servant, therefore, if you have any, any, forget how he says it, if you have any kind regard for me, just kill me now. I don't want to deal with this anymore. How can I bear these people? Because of their rebellion, their stiff-neckedness, stiff their unresponsiveness to the word of God, as we'll see second hour today in Romans 9 through 11. Well, um, here, uh, there's nothing in his writing about the Thessalonians but joy, but joy. Uh, excitement at the successful mission work, my prayer for you is that, in reading this and thinking about what it 's like to be Paul, you say, I want that. I want to be part of the put me in coach I want to be part of the part of the mission I want to do what God has for me to do and when I say mission, hopefully you don 't think get an airline ticket and a visa or get your passport uh, updated so you can go overseas that's you don 't need to do that to be on mission in fact. Um, You need to get on mission before you do that. And And now let's talk about how. Paul's summary prayer for them in terms of their growth is in verses 12 and 13. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all. May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all. That phrase changed my life. Because the word increase and abound, the hendites the, the, the there, the verbal couple of two verbs that were asking God to do something. That, that sentence is very familiar to me. But the sense in which he uses it is not. Let me, say what I'm, let me tell you what I'm saying. The subject of the sentence is God, the Lord. In context, he calls in verse 11, God, the Father himself, and our Lord Jesus Christ. That's verse 11. And then he says, the Lord, same word, kurios. If you're strictly by context, he's referring to Jesus, the Lord. But throughout the New Testament and in Paul's writings, the Lord can be, kurios can be the Father, Son, or Spirit. Now, or all three. Now, may the Lord cause you. The, the subject is the Lord. The verb is increase and abound. It's two verbs together that make this picture of abundance. And the object of the verb is in blue on your sheet. The object of that verb, the verbal complex, increase and abound, is you. It isn't love, it's you. And that's, that's just grammar. But think about it. May the Lord himself cause you to increase and abound. Remember the prayer of, of Jabez? Everybody still have their prayer of Jabez Hacky Sack or all the swag they made from Bruce Wilkinson's book? Y'all don't remember? Was I the only one around in the 90s? Yeah, it's, the, it's, it's from the story of Jabez in the Bible. Yavites, prayer of Yavates. Nobody wants to hear that. It's Jabez. Anyway, um, like Yael. Her name isn't Jael, it's Yael. Anyway, um, so the prayer of Jabez is for the increase increase, increase, expand me. It's a good thing. It's, it's one of these things in, in the middle of these genealogies that um, it's just thrown in there and tells you to read closely. And um, so people want to be increased, expanded, abundant. Doesn't everybody want that? We want God to magnify us. We want to be bigger and more. Actually, what we want is for our experience. I mean, this is what our sin nature wants. Think, think about this with me. In our experience, we want our idea of ourselves to reflect the reality. <laughs> we want to, we, we have this idea of who we are or who we should be or what we should get out of this life. And we want reality to reflect that ideal because we're so full of ourselves. I mean human beings. I'm just talking people with a pulse, right? The unresurrected humans, including Christians, we fall into this incurvature of the soul, this problem of sin, which directs you on yourself and says more about me. The 80s country song, what about me? What about me? Well, um, you are supposed to be increased. You are supposed to be expanded. God does want to increase you. Television preachers today tell you that if you're getting it right, then God is going to make you rich. I, I watch the news headlines. I don't watch the, the Christian TV, but I watch the news headlines or whatever that is. I watch the news headlines and one of these uh, TV preachers just got snagged for uh, having a jet and they, they interviewed him and, um, and he tried to explain how he couldn't do God's work commercial. He has to fly private jet and that's why he has a Gulfstream or three or whatever and um i I agree <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean when you 're a celebrity, everyone sees you all of a sudden, you know you have to talk to people and interact with them when you travel, and it it, it has to be like this, this security thing now because everybody knows you 've got millions and millions and millions of dollars, so you become a target for for people with their schemes and criminals and so forth. And so, yeah, you, you, got, you can't be around people anymore. You gotta fly private jets. And um, so much more convenient. Coffee's so much better on a private jet anyway. Um, but see, that's the idea is that if we're getting it right, we'll be rich. By the way, don't you feel like the Lord wants you to send $1,500? I mean, the Lord just gave me that number right now. If you're really in the spirit, don't you feel it? Touch the TV screen. Don't you feel it that you need to give me fifteen hundred dollars? (laughs) No, no. Forty million dollars a month. These people. Anyway, the point is that um, that uh, this increase that God offers us in spiritual growth isn't money. It's not property. It's not prestige. It's a change of perspective about ourselves. See, if you really thought, if I really thought of myself, if you really thought of yourself as you are in Christ, then you'd say my ideal of myself, how important I am, is a sad, sad substitute. It's a paltry thing compared to who I really am in Jesus Christ. The glory that has already been established for you by virtue of the baptism of the Spirit uniting you to Christ. This is why we don't neglect our so great salvation. Think about who God says you are. Now, that sentence, may God cause you to increase and abound, has a specific sense that is echoing through the entire New Testament. It's an advance on something that's that's key in the Old Testament, that you love your neighbor as yourself. He says, may the Lord cause you, the Lord himself cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all. The sense in which you are growing is the capacity to love with his love. His character being formed in you means his love is being brought forth through you so that more and more you are an exponent of his love. Has your love been tested in the last four or five years? Has your capacity to love been challenged, been stretched? Mine has. Have you had a few even those? Do you know what an even though is? I love, even though I can't possibly love that. Can you can you see what happened here? What she said, what he did, what all the, all the people stuff really, really can be put into one bucket, and it is love one another as I've loved you. That's your that's your starting point. But they're this and this and this. That's right. That's what one another is. So now think about what love looks like for that object. Well, I don't feel like loving them. That's not what we said. See what I mean? Love gets challenged because of the even-those, because of the people that, well, if I were to love this, then I do have to be like supernaturally empowered by God. I mean, I'm not God. That's right. But God is in you working to will and work for his pleasure, and you can do what he's calling you to do. So this is the prayer Paul has for God to do to them. This is my prayer for you, for God to do to you. I hope you're praying for God to do this to me. That he will increase me, cause me to increase and abound in love for one another and for all. And I think this is a great index of spiritual maturity. I think that's what he's thinking of, is that the growth, that they need to grow. They're doing well, but they need to grow. And they're a relatively young group of believers, spiritually speaking. And that's a very dangerous thing because you have initial fervor and enjoyment and energy and then you realize uh, this life isn't a sprint, it's a long-distance race. And so it's a day at a time. You're know, we not going to always have every day where you evangelize five people and three of them say yes. Where you witness for Christ uh, and have a successful outcome. In fact, you're going to find that that's not, not an average day, not a normal day when you can do that. Well, the growth that Paul is calling for is spiritual growth. God the Son has to produce it in us according to what he says here. And he also then says, just as we also do for you. What that means is that he's an exemplar. And this, believers, is your role. As God increases you in love, as he makes you grow in your capacity to love, you become an example for me and for others around you. You become The one that can say, hey, I'm showing you this. I'm doing this. Do you see how this works? Do you see how I'm expressing love? We do this for you, he says, so that he, now here's the reason. The just as is kind of like a parenthesis. And the main sentence is, may God cause you to increase and abound. And the reason why he wants you to increase and abound, here is the end of your life. Here's where this is going. Ever feel like we just kind of keep meeting together on Sunday and doing the same thing? We're going to have some time in the word. It will or will not address, attack me where, I, where I'm living because I'm, you know, I'm either concentrating today or I'm not. I didn't get a good night's sleep or I did. Don't feel very well today, feel fine. Today I was just on and the pastor was on so I, I got something. Listen to the goal of this. This is how you have to keep your attention and by the way, I think I say this probably every time I get up and speak. The Christian life is something that you live now in light of what's coming and you never lose sight of what's coming. You have to go to sleep at night and close your eyes, but as you do, tell your Father in heaven that you want to have a good outcome here in verse 13. The reason for him to cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all is so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father in the parousia, parousia, the presence or coming or appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. My love now is growing and my expression of that thing in process by the way well i'm just going to wait till i love no choose it now you've got the holy spirit now love and the power he gives you now with what he's equipped you to do it may be a little a little light let this little light shine okay but you're growing now in this capacity where the expression of it has an ultimate outcome at the judgment seat of christ the appearing of jesus christ And so we never lose sight of that coming of our Savior. And what's the picture? Hearts established blameless in holiness before our God and Father. Our hearts established blameless. Now you could say, wait a second. I believe in eternal security. This is going to happen whether I love now or not. And that may be true, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the outcome directly related to your performance of love now. There is an outcome. Hearts established blameless in holiness before our God and Father. That is that at the evaluation of your Christian life, where the father is watching and the son is judging. So the father is almost like a witness here to the son's judgment. When this happens, your life's performance in love is on display. And the summary is blameless in holiness. You set God apart in your heart you recognized him as your creator, you as his servant, and uh, loving obedience as a beloved child, and therefore you made the choices of life in accordance with the creator who called you. <laughs> talking to believers, Thessalonians, I'm not talking to <laughs> unbelievers. I'm not t- talking to people that don't have Christ or the Holy Spirit. I'm talking to people that have been given the earnest of the inheritance, the Spirit, and Ephesians one fourteen and thereby are capitalized and responsible stewards of that provision. I'm going to turn the page twice to 2 Thessalonians 3 and close with what he says in 3.5. Like 2 Thessalonians 3, where Paul uses that word direct again, but listen to how he says it, what he does in terms of Paul's prayer life and the mission. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified. I did that in Greek years ago with you, and uh, what that actually is saying is that it will expand, that the word will expand and be glorified. But I, again, want to point out the sentence, pray for us. What can we pray for? What can I pray for you? What do you pray for, Paul? Pray for us that the word will be expanded and glorified mission, pause on mission. That's verse one and two. That we may be rescued from the perverse and evil men for not all have faith. So if I'm going to be expanding the word and glorifying God in my mission, then I need somebody to defend me against the perverse and evil men who are trying to kill me. And then in verse three, he offers a promise. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. The promise is that the faithful one, because of who he is, will strengthen you and protect you. And you can take it to the bank. But notice the context is in prayer for successful mission. This is not just a good luck charm, rabbit's foot kind of thing. This is for someone praying and on mission. In verse 4, We have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and we'll continue to do what we command. That's, that's not pastors, that's apostles. But what's the nature of relationship between the, pastor, the apostles and the church? The apostles say it, we do it. And Paul says, remember in First Thess 3, this is life for me that you're succeeding. The relationship between apostles and the church is obedience Based on what they've said, you've listened, you've believed, and you obey. So now in verse 5, here's the prayer Paul has for them. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 3, he wanted the Lord to direct his path to them, to be with them, to encourage them, to teach them. Now he's asking that the Lord would direct their hearts into the love and steadfastness of the Lord Jesus Christ in everything we've said, spiritual growth is something God does. It is the capacity to love in this context, and that is going to have an outcome at the judgment seat of Christ to which we advance. Our Father, thank you for the thoughts that you've given us about the spiritual growth and love that Paul teaches in First and Second Thessalonians. Thank you for the truth and the the principle that you've given us that you have to do this your son has to bring this about in us so we pray for it as Paul did for the Thessalonians father direct our hearts into the love and steadfastness of Christ we pray in Jesus name and we all said amen